It's not just any show, it's Startups for the Rest of Us. It's episode 583. I'm your host, Rob Walling, and I catch up with Sam Parr. He's the founder of The Hustle, a wildly popular email newsletter who grew to several million subscribers, eight figures of annual revenue, and he sold it to HubSpot earlier this year. Sam's also the co-host of My First Million, which is a podcast that really dissects business ideas and looks with a pretty unique lens about areas in our economy or in specific industries or in just in the world where new business ideas and new startup ideas can take shape. I really enjoyed today's conversation with Sam because he's just an interesting person to talk to. And he's thinking about so many things. He's educating himself by reading books and he goes off on like research tangents. I can tell. I've heard some episodes of their podcast and you can tell that he's just constantly thinking about how do these things work? Why do they work? Why are they maybe broken on the edges? Where are there opportunities to be found? And as a result, I felt like the conversation he and I had was super interesting. And I hope you do as well. So let's dive in. Sam Parr, thanks for joining me on the show. What's up, man? It's good to have you on here. I was reading your blog, and I, I couldn't afford to go to your event when I first started out, but I read your blog for, I mean, you've been doing it for like 10 years maybe, right? I feel like I've, it's been since 2012-ish. Yeah, I started the blog in 2006, and then wrote the book in 2010, and then this podcast started in 2011. Yeah, I was I was reading your blog for a very long time. I've always wanted to go to your event and I modeled some of our events after your event, but when I first got going, I couldn't like fly somewhere. Like it was like a big deal. That's so funny because, you know, you and I have never met. And it's cool cool to meet you for the first time. I was googling for our calendar event last night and I'm in my Gmail and I typed in your name and there's an email from 2014 from you when I lived in Fresno. I actually want to read it. It's funny. You say, hey, Rob, I follow Justin Jackson on Twitter and he recently retweeted one of your tweets. And since then, I've been reading your blog a ton. Anyway, I saw that you're uh, into bootstrapping and live in Fresno. I'm throwing an event about bootstrapping in San Francisco on January 22nd and wanted to give you a free ticket. Would love to be able to say hi. Password for the ticket was Sam is cool, <laughs> which I thought was, was so great. And then you're like, P.S., the pre-launch strategy case studies have really helped me for launching my own blog. So it was really good. It was a good cold email, right? I get a lot of these. That's awesome. Yeah. And I replied. I was like, hey, would love to, but it's like a six-hour round trip and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm running microconf and all this stuff. And then we got into a, just a thread about, I was about to go on Mixergy again, and we started talking about that. So, And then you asked me a question about time management. Yeah, it's so it's so funny, man, how like you and I run in parallel not parallel lives, but like parallel industries or parallel tracks. And the fact that like we do a lot of similar things with events and email marketing like has been a big impact for, for both of us. My last SaaS app obviously was, was Drip. So it is fascinating to me that we haven't run across each other before this. I'm happy that that email that I wrote to you was good. I mean, 2014, so I was, um, I was 25 years old, probably 24, 25 years old. And I'm happy that I was professional sounding <laughs> and, not, uh, and not like a douche. Yeah. Totally. That could that could definitely happen. I've, I've met a few people in person who like, I will find emails from years ago. And I'm like, what were you thinking do, doing that email? But this one was definitely not like that. So so that's why you know, it's real. Like the people who's like people say, like, I've been a fan of you for a long time. You have proof. Yeah, no, that's so cool. But I want to talk about the hustle. I want to talk about a lot of things today. Hot dog stand, the hustle, selling to HubSpot. I mean, these are really interesting topics to me. You built, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the hustle.co. It's essentially, and it's a news site, but it's email newsletter. You built it to eight figures in revenue. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, 
had we not sold like and i kept working on it for a long time there's clearly a path to 100 million revenue i think with these style of businesses how is that because i think of a media company as just not you know it's sponsorships and this and that i mean yeah i, I just love to hear how how you did this well, when we first launched, so I always wanted to start a media company. I admired Ted Turner. You can't really see it, but I've got this wall with pictures behind me and Ted Turner's on there. And so is Felix Dennis. So two guys who had media companies, one's British, one's American. And so I always wanted to do media because I liked content. I loved sharing ideas. But like even in 2012 and 13, if you looked at the math, you're like, damn, to build a media company to be huge, it's really, really challenging in order this like page view model sucks. And like Upworthy and all that stuff, like got a lot of traffic at the time, but it was very clear like, oh man, like this is content and this is not going to go, this is not going to like stand the test of time. This is, this sucks. But like good content, at least what I described as good content I liked, it was hard to share and get the page views. So I'm like, this model stinks. So I got to figure out how to do this. And so I read Mixergy and Andrew had an interview with Ben Lear, the founder of Thrillist and like two or three other people who had email lists. And I'm like, oh, that math is pretty crazy. One writer can reach like as many people in the world, right? Like I just type in an email and if I have your email address, like the likelihood that I can get you to read it is like pretty good at least higher than writing an article. And so I just thought, what niche that I care about is big enough to, to reach millions of people? And I picked business and technology and it worked. And so like in order to build a $100 million business, you easily can get, when I say easy, I mean simple. So it's simple, but hard. So you easily can get to like 40, $50 million a year in sales through advertising sales. And the way that you do that is you charge like 35 to $40 per thousand cents and you have one major list that has 3 million people, and then you have a handful of smaller lists that are in similar but different targets, and collectively your list should be like 5 million people. That will get you to around 50 million in revenue. Then you have a subscription service, which we did, trends.co. When we sold, it was gonna do close to eight figures in revenue. And so that, if you just did trends, but for different niches, that can get you to another 30 or $40 million in subscription revenue. And then our event, our events were pretty like, thrown together they weren't like the best thing but they made seven figures and that definitely could have gotten to like 10 million in revenue that's incredible i mean a five million person email list is is anomalous right that is not something that exists everywhere well i don't think you'd be able to get i think it'd be incredibly challenging to get five million on one list but we had nearly two million on one list and so it's easy in my opinion to be like well if you gave it two or three years it definitely could get to three million and then you could launch like eight or 10 offshoots that could get hundreds of thousands and collectively add up to 5 million. Got it. That's how you do it. So how did you get an email list? To, how'd you grow an email list to 2 million? The first 100,000 people, we got between 90 and 150,000. I don't remember the exact number in the first year, just through me blogging. So I would blog a lot. Like the first month we had nearly, or maybe the first six weeks, we had maybe a million people come to the website. And of that number, like three or 5% entered their email. And I just continued doing that for a year. And that added up to 100,000 people. And I would just post content like crazy. And then eventually from like 200,000 to like around two or 300,000, I forget the exact number, we started buying ads. And we could buy ads on Facebook and do an arbitrage. That's what I was going to ask about is, it sounds like it's like anything else, it's driving a ton of traffic and having a funnel. And you, you obviously had email capture and a certain percentage signed up. Content marketing is something obviously a lot of SaaS founders who listen to this podcast use. But the biggest lists I know of, like the AppSumo list, like the Hustle, figured out a way to pay for subscribers. And that's fascinating. So how did the economics of that work? Is it because you were able to charge such a high CPM or cost per send? 
it's a SaaS business. It's not literally SaaS, but it's the same. If you get a SaaS calculator on on churn and LTV and just use our numbers. And so it was basically, if we're emailing you, so we emailed uh, every day, but Saturday. So if we're emailing every day, but Saturday, that's like 26 cents a month-ish. And then you say, so it's 26 cents a month. Your churn is like 4% or 3% a month. You're charging $35-ish per 1,000 cents. Therefore, if you want your payback value to be like, I forget what ours, what we wanted ours to be. I mean, it was pretty t- a tight payback time because we didn't have a lot of money. But basically, if you could spend $3 to acquire a person, we knew for a fact that we could make like $18 off of them. So it was like, all right, just spend. Right. So there was a lifetime value. Yeah. But, but then, so we, it was incredibly sophisticated. We had a team of like maybe six people dedicated to us and we used Periscope and we had all these dashboards every day. We checked them and we would say we had all these sources you know, let's say it's Facebook and then like subset of different ad sets and audiences and then Instagram and then subset of different and then like podcasts and then which podcasts and everything and which creative. And then we would say like, all right, within eight days, that sample size, what's their open rate? And we'd categorize them as gold, silver or bronze. And we knew the LTV of a gold, we knew the LTV of a silver and bronze. And then we'd say, all right, spend more there. It was quite sophisticated. See, that's something that really high-end SaaS companies, I say high-end, or really sophisticated SaaS companies do as well, right? As they get into their funnel and they look at their, what is it, their retention grid we used to look at in Drip, and I could see it was, you know, oh, by month 10, we've only retained 84% of people. And a lot of folks shy, especially in the bootstrapping community, shy away from that stuff. They shy away from getting into the metrics and getting into the weeds, and they just kind of want to hand wave it, you know, and build a great product. Because it's really hard. Technically, I don't know how to do it. I can look at it and feel it out. But I had to hire guys who could really properly do it, like scientifically do it. You had a subscription business. You had effectively a SaaS business without the software. And then that's where you say it's simple but hard, right? Because SaaS is really complicated. SaaS is complicated and hard because building a product and then doing everything you've done, doing the marketing, doing the funnel, making the sales, is, I would say, a more complex business than a newsletter. Do you think? you think that's accurate? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think maybe... There's more people who could build a SaaS business than build the business I did, maybe. But I didn't find my business to be intellectually challenging at all. I found it to be, to, to me, it was like getting big muscles. It's like, well, if I just like lift weights and, and like increase those weights every week and then eat a lot, you're going to get big muscles. It's just going to take like four or five years. That's how I felt my business. I was like, look, I'm just going to create good shit, which I'm very talented at and I'm skilled at. I'm going to hire good people to do it. And I'm going to do it for like five years. Like it was pretty straightforward on how to do that. So I I would say that my business was simpler, but SaaS is way more valuable for a reason. Right. The multiple exit multiples. I mean, that you sold to HubSpot, which is really interesting to me when I heard that, because I would expect you to sell to a media company, (laughs) being a media brand. So what, and you had a tweet about this recently, you know, I was reading a tweet thread, but what was behind that decision to sell to a SaaS company? When we launched, I always thought like a Salesforce or at the time when we work, when we all thought we work was like legit, I thought a WeWork should buy us because I'm like, man, look at the math. Like I knew how much sales we were driving to some of our advertisers. I'm like, if one of them just bought us, it's far better to drive like 5,000 customers over the course of a year to a thing that spends 
like forty thousand dollars a year in subscription revenue than it is to just add arbitrage this like it, it's far better the issue was i didn't think that salesforce or another company like that would be bold enough to to believe that that could be true and hubspot hollered at us and i was like finally someone is brave enough to do this and when hubspot bought us they were worth 16 billion dollars and i looked at their numbers like their quarterly earnings report and i was like these guys are growing like 45 percent a year or whatever it was like whatever they reported and they only have like a hundred thousand customers i'm pretty sure like literally every business in america could potentially be a hubspot customer i think this has legs and so i was like i think this could be a hundred billion dollar company inside like five years this is like a no-brainer. We have to do this because it, it could take off. And at its peak so far, like a couple of weeks ago before the sell-off, it, it was like $40 billion. And so it, it's proven to be not all the way true, but close to true. And I look at a lot of the media companies' stocks, and it's like, shit, I don't want to own BuzzFeed. I don't want to own Vice. I don't want that. And it's also a really crappy life. Like making money off of ads, it's kind of addicting and it's kind of exciting. But for the employees, it's pretty shitty. Like for someone who wants to be a purist and a writer, like it kind of sucks that you have to like sometimes even if you say you don't in the back of your mind, you don't say certain things because of your advertisers, you know, like I didn't care because I'm like, I own the company. It's not like I can get fired. But I was like, you know, this woman, Katie, just sold all these ads. If I act like a douchebag, this advertiser is going to get canceled and she's going to lose money. And so in my back of my head, I was like, oh, I don't want to hurt her. Therefore, I'm going to tone it down. And I think that sucks. I don't like that. Yeah. Is is your model still the same or is it funded by HubSpot now and there's no no ads anymore? So the way it works, we went into the year with a bunch of ads booked. And this year we probably would have crushed it on ads because, you know, the world's what's happening. We gave it all back. We canceled all of our contracts and HubSpot's the only advertiser. We make money through trends. Trends is a good business and that potentially could pay for a lot of the HubSpot media budget. And what HubSpot, like the math is simple. It says, let's just say that they have 100,000 customers and they have X amount of leads that they're getting per year and, and Y percent of those leads become customers. Their line of thinking is, well, if we acquired the hustle, that just gives us more leads and more customers and they can track all of that. Absolutely. It's top of funnel for them. Even with microconf or with TinySeed, would I acquire an email newsletter that was aimed at SaaS people? Absolutely, because I know what the numbers, this makes sense. And for HubSpot at that scale, to me, when it was announced at first, I was like, wow, that's a really interesting acquisition. And then I dug into it and I was like, oh, this is a seven-figure email list, which is, a, like I said, an anomaly. And HubSpot knows their numbers. HubSpot's smart. They're really smart marketers. They know their funnel. I know Darmesh. I've known him for years. Like, I know how that, that culture must be. It makes a ton of sense why they, why they would do it. It also does a few other things. So, for example, a lot of people in the SaaS industry, they're really good at just like content marketing. And content marketing, if you're a journalist, which I'm not, but I hired a lot of those folks. If you're a journalist, the word content marketing is like the worst word on earth. Because they say like, no, I'm not a marketer. I'm, I'm out looking for the truth. And I'm creating cool shit that people love. And, it, and I'm not marketing. And so anyway... HubSpot is proud. I imagine they were like, we already reached these amount of people based off of search. But how many people share HubSpot content just because it's badass? Maybe they're like, not as much as we hope. And so with the hustle, we didn't know anything about SEO. We only wrote stuff that thought that we thought it was cool. And we grew entirely from people sharing. And so they're like, man, if we bought this, maybe we can get some of this DNA in our in our company. I, I imagine that's how they felt. Yeah. And that's the, you know, when I talk to SaaS founders about, you know, B2B marketing approaches, I mentioned content and SEO 
separately. They're related, but they can be done separately. You can do content marketing that is truly driven just on the virality and the pop of getting on high on Reddit, high on Hacker News, all these things that has no SEO value. Or you can create stuff that is solely, that doesn't do any of that and is solely focused on SEO. Or you can create content that does both. And I've seen all three succeed. And it sounds like the hustle originally was just the content side. And now HubSpot's bringing that SEO expertise. Yeah. And I think that you, to me, when people say like content, they're like, how do I do good content? I'm like, I don't know, man. That's like asking me, how do you do good art? Like, are we talking painting? Are we talking to make you rich? Are we talking to make you happy? Are we talking about music? Like there's a thousand different things here. So we got to be more specific. Do you just want to rank on search? Okay. Let's talk about that. Do you want to like go viral through sharing through just like emotions? That's another thing. And so I think you can do both, but they serve different purposes and they are both important. Right. And a lot of that, like Lars Lofgren, who ran um, SEO for, yeah, know. you know, yeah, Kissmetrics, and then, then I Will Teach You to Be Rich, and now he's doing his own thing. He focuses on, it's all about SEO, but he needs the viral pop in the early days or wants some type of pop in the early days to build the links to then get the long tail SEO. And for him, he's like, all my content, if I'm not getting organic traffic 6, 12, 18 months down the line, I have failed. And that's his, you know, that's his focus is to get that recurring flywheel going. Yeah, and that's really hard, but uh, it's it's kind of hard, but it's not like that hard. You you start seeing patterns, and so with with content, like I can tell you which type of emotion will get shared more often, and I can tell, like I can read a headline and be like, oh, that's gonna that's gonna take off. And you're not right 100 percent of the time at all, but like it's like a batting average. I could be right like 30 percent of the time. That's really good. Right, and you get bad. It's a skill, right? It's a learned skill. So you you work at HubSpot now? Yeah, kind of. So. Right before we sold the company, I had uh, recruited a guy who ran, well, I, I think I could actually say this now. He ran Motley Fool. Oh, yeah. He was an executive there. He was the head of growth. His name is Jordan. And I wanted him to be CEO of The Hustle. And then we got this deal worked out and everything. And then HubSpot hollered at me and said, we want to buy you. And I said, this is a good deal. I'll, I'll take this. And so I had to go to Jordan, man. I'm sorry. I have to do this. And I told HubSpot, look, I had a CEO lined up because I'm this company's gotten too big for me. I, I can't be a CEO of it. And they go, all right, fine, we'll replace you. And you only do the podcast. I go, great deal. And they hired Jordan. And so Jordan is now the boss. So Jordan previously ran Motley, was an executive at Motley Fool. And he uh, is now the boss. And my only focus is on, on, on our podcast. And it's working pretty good. I think December will hit 1.5 million downloads. Wow, good for you guys. But the podcast, My First Million. My First Million, yeah. Yeah, which is a trip because it was, My First Million was on my radar. I had heard about it, but I thought it was like a, I thought it was different than it is. When I listened to it, I was like, oh, this is really good. But I thought it was kind of a start your business type thing. And it's like, I'm not there anymore. You know, I used to listen to those. But then Cortland, Alan, you guys did a, an episode swap, I believe. And I, and I, Cortland and I are good friends, go back, you know, years. So I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to his episode. And I was like, I really like this show. Like your format is so dynamic. And you do, do you have a fixed format even? I mean, I probably listened to like 10 episodes and I feel like it's just whatever you guys want to talk about. It is. So the name's really bad. Of course, my first company was called The Hustle. So like, clearly I'm not good at naming things. <laughs> and it was called My First Million because Sean, so The Hustle owned the podcast the whole time. And Sean was one of my closest buddies. And he goes, I want to launch a podcast where I'm talking about people getting their first million users, their first million revenue, whatever. And that's what he did. And for years leading up to that, 
every week me and Sean and a couple of other buddies would meet and just like brainstorm. We just would, we, for some reason we started doing this and someone didn't show up for his interview and he goes, Hey, I booked the studio, but like no one showed up. Do you just want to come riff and just do our thing? What we do? I go, yeah, all right, whatever. And I show up and we did it and then it hit. And so then it was like, all right, well, let's just brainstorm. And we started brainstorming and that took off. But then we're like, dude, let's just talk about whatever we want to talk about. And maybe people will find it interesting. And that's what we do now. And so when we log in, basically we log in at one, we both pop on our screen, just like you and I just did before this, but we purposely, we don't say a word to each other. We won't talk to one another. Or if, if someone says like, how was your weekend? We say like, shut up, don't say anything. We hit record. Then we have the conversation that we want to have. So that way it's far more organic. And then we don't really edit it and we just put it out there. And so this November, this past November, so a month ago, we just started doing some growth stuff. But prior to that, if you asked me how it grew, I would be like, I don't know, man, it just did. Like, I, I have no idea. It still shocks me that people listen to it. <laughs> well, it's, I guess on growth, it's like no one I know has been able to growth hack podcast. So I do want to ask you about no that. one. Yeah, it's always I know one person. Okay, Jordan Harbinger. Okay, what did he what did he do? What was his approach? So we I've talked to him. Jordan's been my homie for a while. And I was like, you know, Jordan has like, I think 10 or 15. I forget the number. But I believe on the high end, it's like 15 million monthly uniques or mo monthly downloads. And I was like, Jordan, are you 15 times better than my podcast? Because let's say we're at a million. I was like, are you? And he goes, no, if anything, I could be a little worse or even just slightly better. But I'm probably 15 times better than you at marketing. And I go, what are you doing? And he goes, all I do is I buy ads on podcasts. That's all he does. He goes, that's the only thing I've ever found. So I guest on other podcasts and I buy ads on those podcasts. And that's all I do. And is that your, you know, you said you were going to start doing some growth stuff for your podcast. Is that what you're going to do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we bought a bunch in November, December, but they don't go live until after the new year. Wow. So I guess on a lot of podcasts, I've never bought an ad. So it's something I need to think about. Something that I did for this show last, when was it? It was probably pre-pandemic was, so I did some tests because, you know, I'm an old school marketer, right? I used to do direct response stuff. I grew hit tail on Facebook ads and I tried Facebook ads. And of course, getting someone to switch mediums doesn't work, right? It's like they're in Facebook. They don't want to click over and subscribe to anything. So then I started buying ads inside podcast players. That's what he does as well. Yep. Pocket Cast and, you know, there's Downcast and there's over. I mean, there's more than you than most people think there are. Yeah, there's CastBox, there's Stitcher, there's like 50 or maybe maybe there's 30, 30 or 50 that you could do it. Yep. And I tried a bunch of them and I actually had some luck at it. And then they got really expensive when COVID hit. I mean, the price like quintupled, I think overnight. And it was like, I can't be paying. I don't remember what the price went to, but it was like $4 per new user. And it's like of a podcast, like, I don't know, that's a pretty long funnel, you know, you, you have to do the math. So it's the same exact thing. So Jordan's math, his show is like every day. So it's like, well, if my show's every day, and I have like three or four ad spots every day, it, it makes sense. Yeah, he, he directly monetizes it. And that's what, like, this show is not directly monetized. Obviously, it's just kind of a, it's always just been a, the podcast of MicroConf, really. And that's the only way that we, pay, that's how MicroConf pays the bills, you know? And so it's like, can I even equate a listener of this podcast to a ticket sold or whatever? It'd be, it'd be pretty hand wavy. Also, it de depends how big your target market is. Like, because we, we slowly got into a little bit more like pop culture stuff, like not entirely, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go on that. And people shockingly will say that they listen because they find it to be funny and entertaining. And so I'm like, that's weird to me. I can't believe you that people are laughing at this stuff. But anyway, and so because of that, like our total addressable market, I think has gotten a lot larger. So we can do that with Jordan. His addressable market is just like 
anyone. So it, it's a little different. Nats, I'm envious of businesses like that. I think it's it's a genius to enter, to, to just have a wider focus. Like I've always been focused on software. I, first it was software startups and now it's SaaS. It's just a small world. It's not actually, and not as big as a lot of people think. And you have a luxury with, or had a luxury with the hustle. And now with my first million that you that you have broadened that scope. I think it's I think it's a really smart thing to do. Yeah. Do you use TikTok? I don't. So like you should, it's pretty fascinating. Like when I was 18 and I was like into business, like I was considered a freak, not a freak, but like people are like, what the hell? So when I was 21 years old, I got a job offer at Airbnb and there was like, they had like 200 employees. And my mom was like, what the hell is a startup? This sounds like a Ponzi scheme. Like this is not real. No one is going to say. And so now it's way more common, you know, like you'll see like eight. So like there's 18 year olds on TikTok who have millions of views and all they do is talk about startups. And so like, the target market is like quite huge. We, we did something really cool. So last week we said on our podcast, we're going to give $5,000 to maybe two or three people who take our YouTube videos and chop it up into clips and post it on whatever social media channel and use our hashtag. And we'll give you five G's based off of like some combination of do we think it's cool, creative, and does it have a lot of views? So there's a handful of guys that have channels now on TikTok that have gotten roughly 10 million views in a week. And so it is crazy. And there and, and so the, the target market for business content, particularly amongst young people, is significantly larger than I thought. All right. Well, I got to turn TikTok now. I, <laughs> I've, been, I've been around long enough that each of these is like, really, another one? But I hear it. I hear, I've, you're not the first person to tell me this. I'll put it that way. I'll have to share this with you. It, it, it's just, it's so fast. So check this out. Can I send a link on here? Yeah, yeah. Here it is, chat. So if you click that thing I sent you, and you'll see that hashtag, MFN clip, currently has 8.6 million views. Wow. And these guys are making videos based of our stuff. And I don't think you could see the view count on your computer. But if you look on your phone, you'll be able to see the view count. And some of these videos have over a million views. And is it because they have channels? no. They just launched these. Their channels are named after us. It's like their channels like MSM Snips or MSM, MFM Clips. Got it. They just made them. And so we're doing this on YouTube and not seeing anywhere near this reach. And it sounds like the blue water is, is TikTok. That's what it seems like. Yeah, but like I didn't know that. It's all like these like 18-year-olds making these clips and it's like boggles my mind how they're able to do this. And uh, it's huge. So like collectively, we've just reached or we just got an additional 8.6 million. This contest, by the way, is seven days old. Right. And it's not costing you that much. It's going to cost us $15,000. Yeah. It's a great hack, man. So one thing you guys do on your show is you bring business ideas, like you'll brainstorm business ideas and you'll also analyze existing businesses oftentimes that are like some, there was like some trucking company and you went down a rabbit hole of like, I saw this name and then I Googled it and I found out they're a big conglomerate and da, 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 da. The business idea side is fascinating to me. And I think folks listening to this are always trying to come up with bootstrappable ideas that, you know, to put you on the spot. What would have been some recent bootstrappable business ideas that maybe you and your co-hosts have discussed or have thought about or just anything that's on your radar that's like pretty fascinating. If it's, if it's software, that's cool. But if it's not, that's fine too. Is that okay if I change software into internet? Yeah. So the thing about our show is basically like, I am not an expert in, let's say, email marketing software. I've used a lot, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert like you. And let's just say that that industry interested me, I would have to go and work at Drip or work at ConvertKit or MailChimp in order to kind of like master and like 
spot problems. Like it's really hard to spot problems to solve. And so with our show, what we try to do is like make it so you don't have to go work somewhere. And so we just like show you interesting problems. And one of the most fascinating problems that I'm obsessed with at the moment, I'll tell you a couple, but the first one is trucking industry. And a lot of people say like autonomous trucks. So you, you said I talked about trucks. That, that's because I'm a little obsessed with it. But right now in America, there's a huge shortage of truckers. And a lot of people who work in the program or in the startup Silicon Valley-ish industry like we do, we don't really give a shit about that because we don't know many truckers and we don't really think about it. We just think, oh, it's this other group of people who just gets it done. Well, I have a legitimate fear that in the next like five or 10 years, I'm like, how are we going to be able to get to our house? Like, how are we going to buy stuff without trucks? And a lot of people say like, well, driverless trucks are going to be a thing. And I'm like, probably not. It's, I don't think it's like going to be as popular as you think as soon as you think. And so a huge thing that interests me at the moment is basically just lead gen for trucking companies. And I spun up a website just to see if I could do this. And I made a grand in like two days off of it. And so I'm very fascinated by lead gen for truckers. I think that a lot of the people in the space, are, uh, so basically like you get paid 50 to $100 per person who applies for a job with a commercial driver's license. Oh, I was thinking it was lead gen of like people hiring them to haul stuff, but you're saying it's employees. It's just finding new drivers because of shortage. Yeah, they, there's a massive shortage and, and, they, and they're really struggling. What I would like to do is start with that business. I, I think I could scale that to like seven figures in revenue and make it relatively profitable. Then use that money to actually create a proper company where I could uh, like make the environment better for these guys because like I, so I think it's messed up. So I and I'm an investor in this company called Cloud Trucks, which uh, are doing the same thing. So I'm very fascinated by that business. What else am I interested in? Okay, I have an interesting one. Here's one that we just talked about. It's so fascinating to me. So there's this company called Storyworth. Have you heard of Storyworth? Yeah, and I had in my Trello board forever to send it to my parents because I, right, it doesn't email them once a week. Dude, it's so cool and it's so simple. I'm a customer of theirs and the guy who started it, I shared an office with him. So it's called Storyworth, storyworth.com. It's the simplest shit on earth. It's one guy running it and it's very easy. So you spend 25 or $50 a month, I don't remember, and it automatically sends email prompts to family members and it asks them questions about when they grew up. So like, what was your favorite memory about your father? And eventually, you know, they write. And then after like 30 weeks or something, you've got this like practically a book. And then you could upload pictures. And now you've got this book and you could pay an additional fee in order to get this book. And I think it's amazing. And it's the simplest business. I think that you could launch this in a weekend. And it, I know it's working because these guys, StoryWorth, I see them buying ads on YouTube. And I think I even saw them buying ads on TV. And I'm almost positive that the company only has two or three employees. On LinkedIn, they've only got like two or three people. I knew the guy who started it, Nick, and it was just him for like a long time. So that business is incredibly fascinating. I think there's actually space in the market for more people and they could do it slightly differently. Right. Angle it differently. Yeah, I've seen them advertising. I've seen their ads on Instagram and I used to hear it on some pod, some personal finance podcasts I listened to. So that's super interesting. You have a recent podcast episode that it's the company you would build if you had the energy and the time and starting a company based on who you want to employ. What did you dig into that? Yeah. Well, so, so if I had the energy, it was energy, time and money. It's because that's an interesting question. One thing that I think is kind of crazy. Have you ever studied recycling? No. Okay. So do you have a blue bin at your house? Yeah. Two of them. Yeah. That blue bin, that's bullshit. That gets thrown away in the trash and burned. Really? Yes, it's complete. It's a complete lie. 
and the energy that it takes to recycle. Have you ever been, you live uh, in, in Minneapolis, right? So they're like, they're like pretty green. And, and I bet that they have these areas that have these huge bins where you throw like plastic ones in this bin, plastic twos in this bin, like or green, glass, blue, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it doesn't work in such a way where you can just give a bucket of just tons of different plastics to a company and they sort it out and turn that and reuse it. And it's all dirty and it's got styrofoam in it. It doesn't really work that way. And so the majority of stuff that we're throwing away in our blue bin, it just goes to the trash. And we created this system so we feel good about consuming more shit. And it's like, oh, I'm recycling. It's okay. It's not a big deal that I just bought like 24 cans and I'm like, it's no big deal. And it kind of is a big deal. And I've talked to a lot of waste management companies and they're like, we try, like, it's just impossible. Like it costs more money than we make from it. And it takes actually more energy than we're actually saving. And so what I'm incredibly fascinated about is recycling and how we can solve that problem. Because I think it's like a sin. I don't believe in God, but it's like a, a sin against humanity where I order something from Amazon and they send me all of this packaging and I'm just going to throw it away and it gets burned. Like I, I'm like, I feel horrible that I just used that much energy to get this stupid book. And so I'm incredibly fascinated by what's going to happen with different recycling businesses. Um, I think there's a world where you could create a better recycling business. Like just, And there's actually been a lot of people like, Waste management, that company Waste Management, it was started by this guy named Wayne Hazinga. And Wayne Hazinga launched Waste Management and he bootstrapped it. And I think there's a world where you can do that. Additionally, Wayne Hazinga, this guy, Wayne Hazinga, he started Waste Management. Then from there, he started AutoNation, the world's largest car dealership. After that, he started Blockbuster. Wow. Unreal. And then he bought the Miami Dolphins. I believe he bought the Miami Dolphins and then one more sports team. I could be getting the sports team wrong, but it's Florida, a Florida football and maybe a baseball team. This guy's amazing. And I read his biography because I'm so interested in waste. And I'm like, how do we solve this problem? And so recycling is a huge industry that I think is under talked about. I think this is not this problem is not discussed en- enough about the the amount of waste that we have. And and so like I'm like what do you do? Like how do you rally around this? And and there's a few interesting things. There's this company called the Buy Nothing Project. And it's basically started by two friends in Washington. They're now in 44 different countries. They create a website with local groups and they form these gift economies. And so it's basically it's a ton of different Facebook groups where people lend stuff for free or they give stuff away for free, just stuff that they don't want. And this company, it's got now 4.2 million participants, 44 countries, 6,500 communities, and 13,000 volunteers. I would say like, I would use something, they don't use this, but I'd be like, it should just be like reduce, reuse, not reduce, reuse, recycle, just say reduce, reuse, and then just cross out that recycle. And anyway, so that's like an interesting way of solving this problem. So I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with that at the moment. That's interesting. And you're, I mean, it's fascinating how deep you go on these things, right? I mean, that's what makes your your podcast, your show so interesting is it's not a surface level cursory thinking about recycling. It's like, you've just told me, I knew 5% of what you just said. Like, you you know, 20 times more about it. So you obviously did a bunch of research. You must have read books on that. I mean, like, what drives you to do that? Is it natural, just natural curiosity, the, the desire to learn about these things? I make a joke. I'm a manifest cowboy. Like, I just love the idea that I remember being a little kid and walking around a city and seeing skyscrapers. And I'm like, holy shit, someone just like a guy or a woman just came up with this idea and convinced all these people that that we should build buildings that are 50 stories high. 
and they built it. That's amazing. I cannot believe that like you could do that. But I was like, but I can't do that. Someone others could do that. But like that's a superheroes can do that, but not me. And then once I got a little success in business, and when I had HustleCon and I met like the founders of WeWork, the founders of Casper, the whoever, folks like you and your wife, like people who were doing interesting. Shit, once I I was like, oh, they're like smart. And maybe they're smarter than me, but they're not like billions of dollars times smarter than I am. Like they're they're like, we're in the same ballpark. We can shape the world any way we want. And so I've always been obsessed with that idea of like, I can bend the world to my reality. And so I loved figuring out how things work. Um, and if you read this biography about like Wayne Hazinga with Waste Management, I'm like, oh, that was super easy what he did. It, it took a lot of work, but it was like very straightforward. I could totally do that if that's how I wanted to spend my time. Man, that is, that's, I think that's such a, a good lesson that, or just a way of thinking about things that I think some entrepreneurs have naturally, and I think some entrepreneurs learn along the way. And I think folks who are listening to this today, like that's something that you should take away from this conversation is the idea that there aren't many outliers. Like, like you said, the people who sell a company for a billion dollars are no, just not that different from us. They're probably about as smart as most of us. They're probably about as, you know, maybe they had a leg up. I mean, I, I always talk about it as hard work, luck, and skill. Maybe they got a little lucky. Maybe they worked a little harder, but we can all work hard. And developing skills is something any of us can do now. It's not like 50 years ago where, like, there is no internet, right? And you have to go to university to, to learn anything, and maybe you don't have the money to do it. So I think there's, I, I often say, like, we live in the best time in history to be an entrepreneur because I truly believe that you can build the skill, put in the hard work, and be successful almost on your own merit. It depends. I know that if you want funding, there's all these, but like bootstrapping, especially I bootstrapped how many, you know, 10 businesses or whatever. And like, no one knew who the hell I was. It was just me working hard and shipping stuff. How much, how much in revenue was your biggest company? Like in your AR, your run rate? A few million. That was drip. It's much more than that now, but yeah, when I when we exited. So like, I don't know if you talk about it or not, but I imagine a few a three million dollars SaaS business is like definitely eight figures in personal wealth, or like at least in that ballpark, I would imagine. Yep. And I think that I believe in luck, so I do think that like luck's luck's a thing. So I, I'm not like this guy that says like, well, I just like worked really hard, and and luck's real. Like it, like you could say like it's just lucky that I was born in this time in America, but then you could also say it's lucky that I was healthy. It's lucky that I didn't come from a fa I came from a family that was emotionally supportive. I came from a family that could put me through a good high school, things like that. So luck's real. But I think that if the if you give yourself 15 years, you can create eight figures in wealth. Now, I do think that there are some people like an Elon or a Bezos. I think that when we talk about people who are or are not better than me, they're outliers. Yeah, they're, they're they just have more horsepower. Like their brains are just better than mine in terms of like now if would I want to trade spots with Elon Musk? No, I'm super happy and I don't think he's happy. But I will acknowledge that I think he's just smarter than me. And it's amazing that we're both considered humans. That said, there are a significant amount of people who I've met or who I've read about that are worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. And I say, you're not better than me even at all. Or sometimes I'm better than you, but you stuck with it for 20, 30, 40 years and bravo to you. So like you're you, the only thing that you're better than me is that you did it and, and, and didn't sell. Well said, sir. Well, thank you for joining me on the show today. If folks want to keep up with you. You are the Sam Parr with two R's on Twitter. And of course, my first million. It's a good show. That's awesome, man. Thank you. This is cool. I'm happy we got to finally talk. I, I've been listening and reading forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to finally meet you, man. Thanks for coming on. 
Thanks again to Sam for taking the time to join me on today's episode. I hope you're having a great end of your year. We're almost to 2022. I know I'm excited about what the new year is going to bring and looking forward to what we can accomplish with our next 365 days. And with that, I'll be back in your ears again next Tuesday morning. <laughs>